You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore. Oh, oh man. I thought I was going to be able to fight through that, but it just caught me at the end there. Well, how are you today? Good? Good. Great. Glad. Happy. Well, let's let's uh, let's kick it off. So there was a, uh, I don't know if it's, if you call it a question. Let's say JJ brought to my attention an argument that's out there that he wanted my my thought on. Apparently, it's kind of a common thing that's been floating around out there for a long time that I just haven't noticed. He says, I've seen several people suggest the Packers wouldn't want to have too many rookies on the 53 this year, so trading up makes more sense. My question to you, obviously there's a point where that would be true, but where is that point in your mind? Maybe I'm missing something. I feel like there's maybe an argument that it's like, oh yeah, that's a good point. But I haven't found it yet. I don't see where that's a strong argument for anything. You don't want to have too many picks because you can only have so many guys. So why don't you bundle up a bunch of these picks and trade up and get a better guy? There are so many assumptions in that. It's kind of silly. Here's the way I I kind of phrase this. One of the things that I said to JJ, if the Packers had the opportunity to make every pick in the 2021 draft, do you think that would be a bad thing? Because it wouldn't, it would be a great thing. If we picked every single player, every single one, 200 and some odd selections, would that be a bad thing? The answer is no, because there's one big assumption here, and there's several we'll go through. There's one big assumption that's incorrect. And that is, if you draft somebody, you have to get rid of a veteran. No, I don't. I don't have to get rid of anybody. I can just, I could dump the entire draft class if I want to and just roll with the exact same guys we had last year. What I'm going to do, though, is find out what the best combination of players are because the fact of the matter is I've got a bunch of guys on my team right now that were probably late-round picks, undrafted free agents, or draft busts that are sitting around here that I'd love to be able to replace or at least give an opportunity to somebody else, but we just don't have enough picks. Or there's just not enough promise. If I had every single pick in the draft, there's probably a couple guys that I'd be like, yeah, man, let's give this guy a shot over that guy. So I'm going to replace somebody, not because I have to, because I drafted somebody, but because I think it'd be a better option going forward. I've seen enough from XYZ player. This guy maybe isn't very good, but he's showing promise. Let's give him an opportunity. But the bottom line is I'm just going to pick the best combination from the pile and the vast majority of the people staying are going to be the people that were already here. And yeah, there's probably going to be some good players that are going to go bye-bye. But if that's the worst case scenario, I made every selection in this draft and I'm going to let other teams pick up my scraps, oh no. Now, some people will say, well, yeah, but it's a waste because you're getting rid of good players when you could trade up to get other other, uh, somebody better. I mean, obviously not in my scenario because I made every pick, but let's get a little bit more realistic. If I had 20 selections, that would be too many because you're going to let, you're going to either be cutting good veteran players, which I already said you don't have to do, dumping good rookies, which is an assumption, and I'm making that assumption because if you're dumping bad rookies, who cares? Or why don't we just package these guys up, 
and trade up and get somebody better. We're then assuming that if you trade up, you're automatically getting somebody better. It's another assumption that's nonsense. There's way too many assumptions in this. Let's say the hit rate on a really good football player is one in one in five, which I think is massively overestimating it. Because if you go back and look at last year's draft class, if you run through the names, do you hit a really good player once every five names? Let's let's do that for a second. And let's go back to 2019 because it takes some time for guys to develop. Let's go to 2018. Let's use the, the three-year rule or whatever. So obviously when we start off, we're going to have better players, but we're talking about through the entirety of the draft. So Baker Mayfield, yes. Saquon, yes. Sam Darnold, garbage. Denzel Ward is good. Bradley Chubb is uh, pretty good. Quentin Nelson's very good. Josh Allen is very good. Roquan Smith, I'll, I guess I'll say he's good. I don't want to start an argument about it, but he's fine. Mike McGlinchey's very good. Josh Rosen, trash. Mink is good. Vita Vey is good. This is actually a lot higher hit rate than usual. Deron Payne, I forgot that he existed. Marcus Davenport is becoming much better. Colton Miller, I don't remember. Tremaine Edmonds is bad. Don't tell Bills fans they get mad at you when you say that. Uh, Derwin James, I forgot he existed. I think he's been hurt since forever. Jair, obviously very good. Leighton Vanderesh has become garbage because of injuries, apparently, according to Cowboys fans. Whatever excuse they want to use doesn't matter. He's no good. Frank Ragnow is terrible. Billy Price is, I don't even know if he's in the NFL anymore, terrible. Rashawn Evans, terrible. Isaiah Wynn is good. DJ Moore is decent. Hayden Hurst is pretty good. Calvin Ridley's good. Rashad Penny, bad. Terrell Edmonds, I don't think is good. Taven Bryan is not good. Mike Hughes is not good. Sony Michelle is okay. Lamar Jackson is good. So that's more than 50% in the first round. Let's just fast forward, I don't know, to the fifth round, just to get whatever. Cole Madison, remember that guy? Don't believe he's in the NFL. RJ McIntosh, don't know who he is. Maurice Hurst is decent. Uh, Shaquem Griffin, not great. DJ Reed, Jawan Bentley, Justin Watson, Bilal Nichols, Trey Flowers, Micah Kaiser. I mean, whatever. None of these guys are any good at football. But Wyatt Teller down here is very good. Whatever. I'll say one in five. I still think that's an overestimation. But if it is one in five, and you had 10 picks, which is a lot, we're talking about maybe two two good players. That's it. We're not talking about 10. We're not saying we have to find 10 spots now. We have to release 10 really good veterans. No, we're not saying that. We're, we're talking about like two. So that's another assumption that's silly. If you have 20 picks, we're talking about maybe four starters. I can't think of any scenario in which we get four really good players out of the draft and we're upset about it. What, what, is, what is the downside of that? Well, we have to get rid of a really good veteran. Like what? What do you? If we drafted, let's say one of them is a wide receiver, what are we going to do? Get rid of Devontae? Are we going to get rid of Lazard? No. Are we going to get rid of MVS? Maybe. If we decide we don't want him, but we don't have to, we can get rid of EQ. We can get rid of nobody. It doesn't matter. It makes our lives better, not worse. And, and, and worst case scenario, we have a really good player that will eventually take over for somebody else. Maybe he'll eventually t- take over for Devontae. But at least when Devontae leaves, which is going to be whenever we decide it's time for him to go, we have somebody there. What are we going to do? And when it's time for Devontae to leave, he's gone and we don't have anybody, but we say, oh, well, at least we didn't draft somebody good. That would have been horrible. Like, What are we talking about? Uh, an edge rusher. Well, we already have enough. We already have so many edge rushers. Ugh. First of all, we rotate a ton. Second of all, I'm tired of less time for Preston, the better. And again, Preston and Zadarius are on borrowed time right now with Preston not playing well and Zadarius costing us $50 billion. When those guys leave, it's just Rashawn. So worst case scenario, we got a really good guy who's not getting enough snaps because he's 
under a bunch of veterans, but we've got a guy take. It's not a bad thing. A safety that's really good can play. A corner that's really good can play. Well, what about Kevin King? Who cares? It's not, even if they just sit on the bench and never do anything, we still drafted him. Ha ha, nobody else gets him. That's like the worst possible scenario is he never plays because he's a quarterback and nobody else gets him. And then someday we trade him for a bunch of picks. Like, I just don't see what the problem is. This made up scenario where if you draft somebody good, you have to get rid of somebody really good. Like, oh man, Elton, sorry, you got to go. We just drafted a really good guard. Sorry, dude. Sorry, Elton Jenkins. Sorry, Bakhtiari. We got a tackle and we, we got two good, good tackles and it turns out they're both good. So I, I guess we got to let you go, dude. Sorry, man, that's the rule that I made up. It's fake. And then finally, um, because I, I, I can, I, as I was going through it, I could hear you guys screaming in the background. See, everybody you listed in the first round was a good pick, but the fifth round wasn't, so why wouldn't you package up those fifth round picks to move up and get a first round pick? Okay, well, we already have a first round pick. We're not getting an additional first round pick. We have a first round pick. The question isn't, wouldn't you rather have a first than a fifth? The answer is yes. If I could trade a four first and a fifth, I would. Here, here's two fifth round picks. Let me have a, an additional first. The answer will be no. The question isn't that. It's would you rather move up like five spots to maybe get a better player? Or would you rather stay where you are and take a shot at getting a guy like Maurice Hurst or... um Wyatt Teller, who's one of the best offensive linemen in football right now. It's very rare, but it's still a possibility because we got assumption number 19 here. If you move up in the first, you get a better player because we assume everything is perfectly linear. As you go down the draft, guys just slowly get worse and worse and worse. That's not true. If you went from pick 29 to pick, I don't know, 27, we would have gone from Taven Bryant to Rashad Penny. Does that make you happier? <laughs> Let, let's, let's put it this way. Let's say... The Packers have um, Alex Leatherwood as the 15th best prospect in the draft. So, so there's there's two, there's a bunch of different points here. Number one is you can't just assume that if you move up, you're getting a better prospect. You don't know that. There's another way to look at it. Let's say Alex Leatherwood, the Packers, not not everybody in the world, because this this board that I make up, or an aggregate board, or the Athletic, or Tankathon, or whoever's board, is not the ultimate board of the universe that says that these are the best guys, and as you go down further, just because everybody's been telling you that XYZ is the best player, and this guy's the next best player, and this guy's the next best player, doesn't mean that that's the case, and we should be smart enough to have known that by now. If this is your first year doing this in the draft, then I'm not talking to you. You'll learn it in time. The rest of you should know better. This is why doing mock drafts is so frustrating because people are so stringent about every little thing. Are you serious? You took Sam Cosme in the first round? What's wrong with you? Dude, you should have taken ter- uh, whoever is so much better. How, do you, how, how can you speak so dogmatically about something when you know for a fact that there's somebody on this board that's going to go in the top 10 that's going to be a complete bust? And you're going to tell me that you know definitively that Sam Cosme has no business being in the first round. That's stupid. Grow up. Let people do mock drafts however they want, because we're all going to look like idiots when this thing's over. At least some people think for themselves when they look like an idiot. What's the benefit of just parroting what everybody else says and then still looking stupid anyways? Why even bother? Anyways, little side tangent on my side tangents here. So the Packers think Alex Leatherwood is the 15th best prospect in this draft. They could possibly move up to, let's say, 23 because he's still sitting there and they're like, we got to move up. This is way too far for him to fall. And they trade up to 23 and get a guy that they probably could have got at 29 anyways. What value did we get? 
Because right now he's sitting on the board at 39. I know it's a fake board. I just said that. But I'm just saying, let's just say nobody else wants him that early and he would have fallen to 29. We didn't gain any value. We did it as an insurance policy to make sure we didn't lose him. But guess what? We wouldn't have lost him. So we didn't actually get better. All we did is lose a fifth round pick. So again, we're just assuming and making up all these things. If, if, if we, It's better to trade up and get a better player in the first than to package a bunch of guys in the fifth round that are no good and we don't have a spot for them anyways. Every single word in that is an assumption that's fake. Now maybe that's how it's going to pan out. And maybe there's some statistics you can put behind that. But even so, we don't know. We have no idea. Right? The Packers traded up to get Darnell Savage. The assumption there was that Darnell Savage shouldn't even been the first safety off the board. I forget who was considered the top guy. Um, Jonathan Abram went second. I don't think he was supposed to be the top guy. Where is everybody? I think like Nasir Adderley, who was like the third safety to go at the back of the second, was considered the top guy. Now, again, was that a good trade-up? I mean, it was great for the Packers, but how do you know he wasn't going to be there anyways? And I'm glad because a lot of the guys that went after are not very good football players, at least seemingly. Andre Dillard, Titus Howard, Josh Jacobs is very good. Uh, Hollywood Brown, Montez Sweat, Jonathan Abram, uh, Jerry Tillery and LJ Collier, uh, DeAndre Baker and Caleb McGarry and Nikhil Harry. Why do I keep thinking that's the end of the first round? There's other guys. Uh, Nikhil Harry. So that entire back of the first half is just horrible. Josh Jacobs is solid, but after Darnell Savage, you got, I mean, maybe Montez Sweat. I don't know. He hasn't done anything yet, but maybe someday he'll, you know, become a good football. I don't know. Terrible. And I'm not saying you should never trade up. I, the The point of a trade up, and this, this is why you shouldn't be saying trade up because you have too many picks or trade up uh, because you get a better player or any of that. You don't decide to trade up today. You decide to trade up when you have a board because your board tells you who's going to be a good player and who's not. Now, you know you're probably going to be wrong, but if you're not going to trust your board, then what's the point in even making one? The point is you build a board and the board is built on tiers. And on these tiers, you have really, 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 really good players. And then the next tier is really, 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 really good players. And then the next, you get the point. If there's a guy sitting all by himself on this tier and he's just sitting there and he should be gone, let's say, you know, the the second tier guys there's everybody's gone except one by pick 16, kind of like our Alex Leatherwood thing, right? Maybe he's a, he's going to be there at 29. I don't know. But he's the last guy left on this entire tier, this this real super stud second tier. Like he's not a Joey Bosa or whatever. He's not like super mega elite blue chip, but he's that second tier. And he's sitting there all by himself. In that situation, you trade up to go get him. Maybe he's still going to be there. Maybe he's not going to be any better. But it's not a predetermined thing that you decide in your mind, and I'm sure the Packers don't want to do it. They don't want to give away picks, but that would be the reason that you do it. All this other stuff about wouldn't it be better today to package up picks and move? Why? For what? For who? What are we talking about? All that stuff is fake. Trading up and trading back has to do with the board as it stands in the moment. You don't make a predetermined decision before the draft. I think we should trade back. I think we should trade. If you ask Gutekunst, he's going to look at you like you're stupid. What do you want to do on draft day? You want to trade up? You want to trade back? What do you think, bud? I, 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 I don't know. I, I depends what's happening in, in the moment. It's a decision you make as the draft develops. However, ideally, the best case scenario is you've got a certain tier. Let's say tier two is gone, but we got like 16 people on tier uh, three still available. What do you think we're going to do? probably going to trade back. Now, maybe there's somebody on tier three that's really, really high up on tier three that we really, really like. And we're like, we just don't want to risk losing them. But if there's a bunch of the same position, positions of need and all that, we should trade back. And that's a good thing because then we get more picks later. 
more picks we can use to get more prospects, more picks we could possibly use to trade up as ammunition if we need to trade up later. Maybe we can get another guy on tier three with the next pick by trading up a little bit before they're all gone. I don't, I don't know, but more picks, I think, generally is going to be a better thing. Do not ever make the argument that you have too many picks. You don't have too many picks. Give me every pick in the draft and it'll be a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's just crazy to me. So again, I'm not making the case that trading up is a bad thing. Sometimes it works out. But you don't trade up for any of the reasons that these people are saying that you trade up. It's, it's just weird. It doesn't make any sense. You trade up in the moment based on your board. Your board says we have to trade up and get this guy. When they traded up for Darnell Savage and everybody else, it's because Darnell Savage was a top-tier guy on their board, and there wasn't anybody else, and they felt we have to go up and get him. Who cares? He won't be there because if, if this, you know, maybe this guy really wants him. It doesn't matter. And that's where everybody else is like, you idiot, you could have got him at 20. They're not going to risk it. Yeah, maybe they're the only team that has them as the top guy on their board that's still available, but maybe they're not. And if they're not, somebody else is going to snag them. And we're not going to risk it. We're going to go get them. And it's a good thing they did because Darnell Savage is a real good football player. So there's that. I think I covered it, right? Like 16 different assumptions in there that I'm just, I'm not buying. Well, I was trying to find a quote from Aaron Rodgers. Um, and maybe it's a fake quote that somebody just threw out there and I thought it was real, but it's not because I thought it was very interesting. I'm, I'll keep searching for it, but I don't, I can't find it anywhere. Um, because it's, if, if he said it, I find it interesting. But um, since I can't find it, I'll tell you what we're going to do. Well, let's, um, let's take a break here. I want to go over a couple different things that I found interesting. PFF has been adding a bunch of new stats. Um, as I sift through them, I will tell you about them but they've just added a bunch of defensive stats. I just mentioned recently they're all offensive. I hope they add some defensive ones. The defensive ones are a lot more interesting to me because they're more, I don't know, interesting, I guess, for general narrative. You know, I mean, I could give you some stuff on offense that's kind of interesting, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. But um, it'll also be fun if you guys have some questions to kind of throw them at me. I can, I can give more answers. I mean, it just it tells me more about the team. That's why I, that's the kind of stuff that I like when I look at it Because some of these things, like I've said, they don't give a full picture and they're starting to really fill out this picture. It also, because somebody asked me again, and I I know I've done 700 defenses of PFF, but somebody just reached out yesterday. They said, hey, man, the PFF thing looks great. I got somebody who's arguing with me about PFF being trash or whatever. What, What would you say? Here's the thing. If you look at that massive database, I've already given the the whole, there's an army of people watching every snap of every play and that's better than anything you got. And that's a reality. But if you want to know the depth at which they're watching these guys. They're not just sitting around eating a bag of potato chips and watching them, which, by the way, is exactly what your friend does, who hates PFF. And by the way, he also doesn't actually watch that much football. He just wants to make a point. You throw PFF in his face. He feels stupid, doesn't have a comeback to He says, PFF, oh, yeah, you must be stupid listening to those guys. Because that's all he's got. Because he knows they watched every snap, every movement that guy made, and he watched him for five seconds and listens to Florio, and that's the best he knows about the guy. Somebody told him his favorite player is awesome, and you told him PFF says he sucks, and now he's mad. That's the full extent of his argument. But look at the full body of work. Look at all these different detailed stats. And here's the thing. All these new stats they're adding, they're not new. They knew this information since forever. They're just starting to show us, and they've got a bunch more than that. They have a specialized service that I would pay a million dollars for that they just give to NFL football teams and college football teams. We're not allowed, and some media members, I think, get it. I think Daniel Jeremiah mentioned how he has it as a part of being a part of the media or whatever. It's like, dude, I got to form a media organization just to get that access to that PFF thing. If you guys want to jump in and start a media organization with me, I don't know what's all required, but let's just do it. Find out the requirements 
and pick a job for yourself. And I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. And then uh, we'll put a we'll put a name on it and a little LLC this bad boy and you know whatever. But all this information is what they've already had. This the every little tiny detail. There's seventy thousand bits of information on this website. This is all the data that goes into getting these grades and everything else. It's the most thorough view anywhere. Now, maybe there's going to be a competing service. I know SIS has some good stuff, and there's there's all this GPS data, which I think is, is going to be the future, to be completely honest, which is just actually literally tracking the bodies on the field. I think there's going to be some really cool developments. I said that years ago, and that may still be several years out. But to fully get context, to really gauge the speed and and every single thing and it it gives a full context right what did you do based on every single thing around you but that's i mean that's going to take some kind of massive ibm supercomputer to process all that i don't know we'll we'll get excited when that comes it also speaking it, it may not even be exciting because now it's like this is the definitive and there are no other answers there's no there's no more room for opinions here this is just i'm giving you data and that might take some of the fun out of it but whatever we're not there yet but all that data, all that information goes into what their grades are. Because as I've said, at the end of the day, their grades really are data-driven. Now, maybe they're using the data improperly, right? It's like I've been saying for a long time, statistics don't lie. The, the idea that statistics lie is false. Statistics are 100,000% correct, assuming they're correct, right? I mean, if he threw for 25 yards, don't say he threw for 50. The stat is 25 yards. That's not a lie. They're just dumb people that don't know how to utilize it properly. And that's the thing. They're trying to contextualize them. And maybe they do that incorrectly. But given the full spectrum of information they have, if they say they're a 70, they're probably about a 70. Maybe if you change or tweak a couple things, they range from 65 to 75. But the point is, really good players are really good players. Really bad players are really bad players. You're not going to find a really bad player and try to convince me, like Patrick Queen, that he's actually really, really good. Or that linebacker out in Tampa. No, 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 no. He's really good. No, 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 no. No, he's not. You're not going to convince me that there is a massive body of work. Every movement he's ever made is tracked by 50,000 bits of statistics that PFF has aggregated, and they've spit it out of their machine at like a 50 overall grade. I'm sorry that you've seen seven highlights of him running fast and tackling somebody. I don't care. I just don't. I'm sorry. And I'm not saying PFF is perfect. I'm just saying they know a lot more than you do. They have way more information than you do on every single thing that he's done right and wrong. They see the highlights, the lowlights, and everything in between. So, anyways, there you go. We'll take a break, and uh, there's a couple cool things I want to go over, and uh, we'll take it from there. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. 
Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So I want to start with the coverage grades. They've added a bunch of new things here, which are pretty interesting. Uh, some of what they've done is taken the advanced pages and just put them on the main page, which is nice. So I can see snaps per target, snaps per reception right here on the main coverage page, which is nice. They also have pass play tackling. So they've added your ability to tackle. And I mean, they've always had a tackling grade. They now have some tackling statistics here as well, which is kind of nice. Um, not very much, just tackles, missed tackles, missed tackle percentage, and stops. So you get a fuller, fuller picture of cornerbacks and their coverage and whatnot. Um, They've also added forced incompletions, which is different than pass breakups. Forced incompletions is kind of nice because it's similar to pass breakups, but all they're really doing is saying how many incompletions were because of the corner. It doesn't necessarily have to be because you slapped the ball out of his hand or caught an interception, but it's also not because they dropped it um, or it was a bad throw. So if there's anything in between, and a lot of times there's not. If we look at, uh, you know, Sean Jolly here, 16, um, or I'm sorry, 10 forced inter- incompletions, 10 pass breakups. So every forced incompletion was a pass breakup. But if you look at Derek Stingley, 15 pass breakups, 17 forced incompletions. Yes, I'm in college right now. I'm just, that's just where I ended up. So there were two times when he caused an incompletion, not necessarily by touching the ball. It can happen. We've seen it happen. It just, again, it gives a fuller picture. And I think it's a better statistic. I want to know how many times you caused an incompletion as a corner. So I think that's, that's a better stat. And I'm, I'm glad they have it. They also have forced incompletion percentage. But anyways, They've also added what's called coverage scheme, which looks at man coverage and um, and zone. And it gives all the statistics. I have all the statistics here. Yards, uh, targets, receptions, reception percentage, yards, yards per reception, yards after the catch, average depth of target, longest reception, forced incompletions, forced incompletion percentage, pass breakups, interceptions, um, dropped interceptions, which is something they've added. Touchdowns and NFL passer rating. Oh, snaps per target, snaps per reception. In man coverage and in zone coverage, they also give tackling statistics in man and zone. I don't know if there's a big difference, but if there is, we now have context. They also give grades based on man and zone. So this is this is game-changing, right? When you want to look at, and, and they do this in college as well, so you get a better understanding of what the Packers do. You get a better understanding of, of how the players perform in each thing. And also, if you want to look at free agents that fit your scheme, you can find somebody that plays roughly the same amount of zone or man, somebody who's better in zone or man. Same with college prospects. We get now a better, fuller picture of zone and man for college prospects and everything else, which is unbelievably exciting. The first couple notes, and I made both of these on uh, Twitter. Number one, every single Green Bay Packer is better in zone than man. Now, my first thought when I saw that is probably that's true for most corners, but it's not. Now, in general, I think it is. You're going to find better grades in zone than you're going to find in man. You know, a lot of people have said, I'm not going to try to diminish the playing zone or whatever. It's very cerebral, but it takes a very special corner to be able to play man, and there's just less guys that can do it. But, again, as I said on Twitter, um, if you look at the top man cover corners, and I'll get rid of some of these guys here, the top man corners, um, only Jair in the top, I think, 15 is, let me scroll here so I can see both at the same time, is the only one that's actually better in zone than man. 
So Bryce Callahan is the best man cover corner in football. That's the guy that Chicago had for a long time. They never appreciated him. He was always a great slot guy. I, I kept saying, this guy's really good. I don't know why they don't play him. And then um, Vic Fangio decided to snag him up, and now he's a Bronco. 89 coverage grade in man, 76 in zone. Still good in zone, but he's better in man. Xavier Howard, who was the number one, um, or no, the, the number one for a long time corner, but he was kind of going back and forth with Jair. He ended up number two behind Jair. But he is also slightly better in man than zone, 84 compared to 83. Jonathan Jones, 80 compared to 68. Denzel Ward, 77 compared to 65. So it's, it's again, 77, 66. If you just go down the, the zone, 68, 56, 63. Right, so on and on until you get to Jalen Ramsey. So it's actually everybody in the top 10. Jalen Ramsey's at, well, he's at 10. It doesn't matter. But Jair here, 78 overall man coverage grade, which is fourth best in the NFL, 78. His zone coverage grade is an 88. So he's a great, it's, it's, it's simultaneously true that he's one of the best man corners in football and he's better, much better in zone. So if we switch to zone, we're not hurting Jair. We're actually making him better. And by the way, you can play zone with some man and all that stuff. You got all different kinds of combinations. He has the ability, which is a rare ability to lock a guy down. But if he, if we ask him to play zone, he's even better. Not only is his grade better, but he's actually the second highest uh, zone corner in football. So not only is he one of the most talented, he's also one of the most versatile. Marlon Humphrey is the only other corner graded higher in zone coverage than Jair Alexander. Marlon Humphrey isn't better overall, though, because he's a horrific, horrific man cover corner, which is just, it's so much fun to be able to just see that. I didn't know that. I loved Marlon Humphrey in college. I didn't know what his DNA was as a corner. 46 overall cover grade in man. And so if Baltimore was much more zone heavy, he would be one of the better corners in football, but he's about 50-50, which is actually decent. Here's the other thing that I found shocking, because if you look at it, the narrative that I've been saying, and apparently I've been saying incorrectly, is that Pettin was more of a man coverage guy. He was, he was press man, and uh, Joe Barry is going to be more zone. I was shocked to find out, and they don't do this based on teams, but generally, you know, it, players have different percentages of man and zone, but it's pretty easy to see, you know, they're all kind of bunched together. So I, I went through and I said, where do they rank as far as man coverage? They are the ninth heaviest zone coverage team in football. Let me say that again. Ninth heaviest zone, which means they play man coverage the ninth least of any team. They are one of the most zone heavy teams already. There's just a couple teams. Um, i trying to remember off the top of my head. The, the Rams are real heavy. Minnesota. Indianapolis, the Chargers, Seattle, Carolina, Cleveland, and I think that's roughly it. Rams, Colts, Chargers, I think the Giants, Seattle, Carolina. Uh, did I say Chargers? I did Cleveland and Minnesota. Uh, no, not the, remove the Giants, add Minnesota, and then Green Bay. Ninth or tenth, up there with the Giants. To give some context, uh, Jair Alexander, who we've said is, is a great man corner and all that stuff. We always talk about him playing man, 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 man. He actually played the least man coverage of anybody on the team. 22.2% of the time only. About one in five times. Kevin King, 22.4. Josh Jackson played 25% of the time in man. Chandon Sullivan, 26.6% of the time. Jair played more zone than anybody. It's the exact opposite of what I would have expected. I thought we were one of the more man-heavy 
and that Jair would play the most man of anybody. He played the least on a zone-heavy team. I just, this, it blows my mind. So the idea that everybody's better in zone is like, well, good, we're going to be more zone-heavy, except we already were. We may become more because, again, the Rams were the most zone-heavy by a lot. The guy that played the most zone was Jalen Ramsey of anybody. He only played man coverage 13% of the time, which by the way, you want to know why, and this this is the thing, it's a scheme thing. You take Jalen Ramsey and put him on a different team, he's going to be terrible. This is the same thing that happened to, uh, what's his name? Guy I've referenced 7,000 times and I keep forgetting his name, Josh Norman. Josh Norman was a very, very, very good corner in zone. Because remember, he, he used to get picked on all the time. Because it's like, dude, anybody can play zone, like that's trash, which isn't necessarily true, but it's like, Guys that are really good man cover corners that have to lock that guys down are like, listen, what I do, you can't do. And it's true. Now, to be fair, Jalen Ramsey is not bad in man. He's got a 74 overall grade. That's solid. But then you look at a guy like Troy Hill. Troy Hill is the second heaviest man or, or zone cover guy for the uh, LA Rams. And he was very, very good overall. He had a 74.6 zone grade and a 62 man grade. If you put him in more man scheme, he's going to be terrible. Add in Darius Williams, another guy that was great. At, remember I said L.A. has three, like, top five, I think, or top ten corners? Darius Williams has a 62 overall man coverage grade. The only reason he graded out so well is because he had to do nothing but sit in zone all day. 81.2% of the time. Troy Hill, 81.9. Jalen Ramsey, 82% of the time they sat in zone. And it's, listen, it's not their fault. Again, if you took... Let me tell you something. If Marlon Humphrey went to the Rams. He might be the best corner in football. 91.6 coverage grade as a zone coverage corner. If Jair was a Ram, he'd be even better than he is. Not that he needs to be. He's already the best, but you get what I'm saying. I mean, there are some guys that are just in bad scheme. Dante Jackson. I don't even know who Dante Jackson is. 31 man coverage grade, 84 zone coverage grade. A lot of these guys just need to be protected by a scheme. Now, nobody wants to do everything the same 100% of the time because you become too, I don't know, simplistic. But if you run primarily zone for certain teams, that's going to work out a lot better. And I think it's going to be easier to find guys. I mean, just if we look at this, how many guys have a good man coverage grade? 14. 70 and up, there's 14 guys in the NFL with good coverage grades. Traverius Ward, Asang Bassey, Jason Verrett, Jalen Johnson, Jalen Ramsey, Marcus Peters, Mackenzie Alexander, Rashad Fenton, William Jackson, Denzel Ward, Jair Alexander, Jonathan Jones, Xavier Howard, and Bryce Callahan. And that's it. How many guys are good in zone? 70 and up? We've got 58. So if you're a more zone-heavy team, you're probably going to find more guys that can, that can be good corners. Now, how does this pertain to the Green Bay Packers? I mentioned that they are better in zone than man. Here's how they rank. Jair Alexander is the second best. Uh, Chandon Sullivan is the 43rd best. He had a 38 man coverage grade. Um, so he is, if we can shelter him in a very zone heavy scheme, he already was, I think, our second best corner on the team. So that's, we always forget about Chandon and everybody's like, well, Kevin King is clearly our number. No, he's not. He's our worst corner on the team. It's not even, it's anyways. Um, then at 80th, you have Josh Jackson. This is definitely another guy, just like Chandon, who would l very much benefit from going to a zone-heavy scheme. Now, ja Josh Jackson only had a 65 overall grade, but 65 is not bad. We, we struggle to find guys that end up with 65 overall grades. If Josh Jackson goes from where he is to up to a 65 because he's primarily just sitting in zone, that sounds great to me. 48 overall in man, 
And then we have um, at 102 out of 137, Mr. Kevin King, who, uh, yes, he is better in zone. He has a 48-man coverage grade and a 57 zone coverage grade. So he doesn't do anything very well. So even that doesn't help him. Like, well, maybe if we just switch to zone, he's really good in zone, he's bad in man. No. And to be honest, I would have thought he was better in man just because that's, well, I shouldn't say that. Because if a guy turns right, he's going to struggle. But, you know, manning up on a guy straight down the field is like the one thing I feel like he does well. His, his read and react, which is a lot of what zone is, is just not good. But whatever. So um, if we do move from, let's say, the ninth zone-heavy scheme to the second zone-heavy scheme, it's going to improve the, the, the guys overall a little bit, especially Chandon and Josh Jackson. But not nearly as much as I thought back when I thought that this was a more um, zone-heavy scheme which is to say I would have thought, or, or excuse me, man-heavy scheme. I would have thought we were top 10 in man coverage. We are not. Not even close. We're at the bottom of that list. I cover this team. I mean, it's it's frustrating. I cover this team every day. Every day I talk about this team. Now, I don't know from, from study, and I don't know from statistics. I know from word of mouth. That's what I've heard. I don't usually get to watch the, I mean, I've seen a couple highlight reels or whatever, but when I'm watching football, you watch the football, and then the wide receivers in the corners run off the field. I don't know what happened. Apparently, they're off sitting in zone somewhere. Anyways, very quickly, I want to talk about something else that has been added that's very exciting. Um, for the edge rushers, they've added a couple different things, and one of them is just called pass rush. So obviously, the pass rush grades are here. We've already, already uh, had that. It's a nice little thing that gives you a good breakdown of the pass rush. A um, couple different things. One of the more exciting things is that they've added win percentage. And I've, I've talked about this before. My favorite metric is pass rush um, or pressure percentage. What percentage of the time do you get pressures? The one thing that I've said consistently, though, is if there was a better stat, it might be win rate. Because pressure is just the end result of, of winning, but sometimes you can beat a guy and it's just not there. Either you beat him and the ball gets out, or you beat him and the quarterback scrambles away from you or whatever because the other side is just vacant. A lot of times, not everything you do correctly is going to result in the same thing, and what we're really looking at is end result. Win percentage might be the best possible thing. Now, now at the end of the day, you still got to finish, right? Now, if you're a 350-pound nose tackle and you throw a guy out of the way, but it takes you 18 seconds to get to the quarterback, now the win rate is is misrepresenting how good you are. Because at the end of the day, the goal is you got to get some pressure on the quarterback. So there's kind of a middle ground, but I do think win percentage might even be better. We now have that here, but it gets better. They've also added a thing called true pass sets, which has kind of confused me for a while. They added it for the offensive linemen, didn't fully understand it. Now they added it for the defensive linemen. Essentially, what they're doing is they're trying to take away things that don't adequately represent you doing your job. They've removed things like screen passes, for example. Why? Because the entire point is you're not going to get pressure. They've, they've removed things when the ball comes out of the quarterback's hand too quickly because, it, again, it's not a fair representation to say you lost when the ball gets out of his hand in two seconds because nobody's going to get there in two seconds. So to say the offensive lineman wins and you lose is not fair. So that gets scrapped for the offensive lineman and the pass rusher. Sorry, that doesn't count. So now we have win percentage as well as pressures on true pass sets. So since we're limited on time, I'm, I want to just give you the win percentage on true pass sets for the Green Bay Packers. And again, we can we can delve more into the nuance of this in a little bit, but I just want to give you the raw numbers as of right now. Um, coming in at number one, who is not on the initial list because he only had a handful of plays, and it's a guy we've completely forgot about that, you know, maybe he could become something. I don't have super high hopes, but who knows? Mr. Typical Leia. 
Now, Tipigalea played six times. Five of those times, he rushed the passer. He didn't get a single pressure, sack, hit, or hurry. So if we're just going on pressure percentage, there's nothing there, but I would give him some, I'd, you know, cut him some slack. Because it's like, well, we don't really know. But now that we have win percentage, we can see how many times did you beat that guy in front of you. Now, if we just look at uh, raw pressures, it says 25% of the time. I don't know how exactly you can get 25% out of five rushes, but they found a way to do it. But if we look at true pass sets, 33% of the time he won, one in three times. I have to assume that only three of them were considered true pass sets. I don't know how else you get two. Um, it could be if there was six, but there were six total passing plays. Only five times he rushed the passer. So I'm going to make a, an estimation here that he beat somebody once. And on the, on the pressures, they said once out of four times, true pass sets once out of three times. So it's, it's something, right? It's, it's not a big enough metric to, to really care about it, but it, it's a thing. At number two, coming in at 23% of the time on true pass sets. So on a normal play, they also, by the way, scrap any plays where it's not four rushers because then there's, there's like an uneven number or this, that, or the other. I don't know. Again, they're just trying to give a picture of when it's a one-on-one, me and you, mano a mano, did you beat the guy or not? At number two, 23% of the time, nearly a quarter of the time in true pass sets, Rashawn Gary beat the guy in front of him. So once again, the statistics seem to show that Rashawn Gary is pretty solid. The grades aren't super great for him, but the statistics like him. He had the highest, I think, pressure percentage of anybody on the team. In fact, and this is kind of staggering, um, Zadarius had more pressures. He had 51, Rashawn had 39. But when you factor in the total number of, of uh, pressures, Zadarius, um, Zadarius had a lower percentage. If you look at true pass sets, Rashawn Gary had more pressures than Zadarius did. Just flat out, not as a percentage. 30 pressures compared to 28. 30 of Rashawn Gary's 39 came from just beating a guy mano a mano. There's a lot of garbage garbage pressures here. 28 of 51 for Zadarius. In other words, what are we talking about? 23 out of 51 pressures came in a way that PFF scrapped it and said it doesn't count. I don't know. Do with that information what you will. But if you just look at true pass sets, and again, remember, Zadarius had a lot more opportunities than Rashawn. Uh, Rashawn Gary had 30, uh, Zadarius had 28 pressures. Uh, sacks, Rashawn had six, Zadarius had seven. Uh, hits, Rashawn had four, Zadarius had seven. Hurries, Rashawn had 20, Zadarius had 14. Zadarius was, uh, had a win percentage of 19.4%. Preston Smith had 16 total pressures and four sacks. That's out of his total 26 and five sacks and had a win percentage of 12.3% of the time. Now, 12.3 is fine as a pressure percentage if it was just total. This is just how many times he beat the guy in front of him. It's just not good, man. A little over 1 in 10 times, he just wins. So we're talking 9 out of 10 times, he can't even beat the guy in front of him. It's not really great, man. Uh, Then after that, you have Jonathan Garvin. He only won 5.3% of the time. The, The one thing I wish they would add is how many true pass set snaps there were. Oh, they do. They, they Never mind. They have that. I'm dumb. So that was out of 22. So that's not a super small sample size. So basically he won once out of 20 times. <laughs> and then coming in dead last, you have Randy Ramsey, 4.8% of the time. Again, I think that means he, he won once out of his 27 opportunities, you know, or no, out, out of 22. I think they're just going off the pressure number. So now that I found the actual uh, numbers, I want to get some some refined pressure percentages. How many times did they get pressure in true, genuine, mano-a-mano fashion? Now I'm just going to look at the big three. Preston Smith, 7.8%. Zadarius, 10.7%. Rashawn Gary, 18.4%. 
in genuine mano a mano, me versus you. And I've got some time to get to the quarterback. It's not a screen. He doesn't get it out in two seconds. It's not some little passing handoff nonsense, jet sweep, whatever. If I have adequate time, almost 20% of the time he got there. That's unbelievable. Those, the, that's what Zadarius did in 2019. And again, I, th- listen, the grades are not great, which means he's not doing something right. It must be when, when he's bad, he's real bad. And when he's good, he's real good. I, that's the only thing I can come to. How does it average out so bad when he does so well? All the, you know, He has so many good statistics. Well, he must be really bad on these other opportunities, whatever. And these are just pass rush grades. So no, it's not that he's bad against the run. I mean, this is just his pass rush grade is always really low. But man, this you want to talk about a high upside guy. This guy statistically is absolutely dominant. He was our best pass rusher last year. Now, all the Rashawn Gary haters aren't going to want to hear me say that and are going to kick and scream and whine and cry because they hate Gutekunst and everything he's ever done. Rashawn Gary and Jordan Love and all these things, you, you can't even sleep at night because they just torment you. I'm very sorry to have to tell you that. Was it Adam, I think, on Twitter? A guy that just massive troll. I think I finally blocked him. I don't know. He was just got to be too much. But that guy would not stop. Where's Rashawn? Where's Rashawn? Where's Rashawn? Where's Rashawn? He's he's, he's dominating. He is our best pass rusher on this entire team. That's where Rashawn is. Out of my face with that nonsense. Now, again, Zadarius does grade out higher. So according to the grades, they like Zadarius more. But And that's probably, again, on a play-to-play basis, he's much more consistent. He doesn't have the lows that Rashawn Gary does. But statistically, if your goal is to get the quarterback on his back as many times as possible, I kind of would rather have that. I mean, if you're going to lose, lose with style. Who cares how badly you lose? Think about it. If, if it comes down to, let's say there's 10 opportunities, and Rashawn is, is not doing a bad job in any of the 10, and he gets the quarterback down once. And let's say five of the times Rashawn Gary gets blown back 500 yards. He gets thrown on his head. He's crying. It's just, it's ugly. It's terrible. But the other five times he gets a sack. Which would you prefer? Again, we're not talking about run blocking. We're not talking about anything. These are all passing opportunities. Five times Rashawn Gary gets blocked out of existence. Five times he gets a sack. I I, I would take that over, over, oh man, he did kind of good, but he just still didn't win. In this case, I kind of care about more about statistics because it's just, it's, like I've said, there are some positions where you're expected to win and some positions where you're expected, as a tackle, you're expected to win every single time, right? As a corner, you're expected to win every single time. The opposite of that is the opposite. As a wide receiver, you can lose, 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 and then win, and then you're the hero, right? You'll run 50 routes and catch, you know, eight passes, and it'll be like, you had a great day. What do you mean? He didn't even catch anything. I mean, he got blocked out of existence. He was covered like crazy almost every single time. The corner won the vast majority, but yet, oh, the corner just got killed. He, you know, he caught eight passes on him out of 50. But that's the way it goes. You're expected as a corner to win every time. As a tackle, you're expected to win every time. Again, let's say they, there's 60 opportunities in a game. If you get three sacks, you had an unbelievable game out of 60. <laughs> but that's the expectation. So I kind of don't care all that much. Now, when we talk about run blocking and stuff, I do kind of care about grades because you don't want to lose ugly. Right, you might not make a tackle. The, ta- the tackle doesn't matter, but y- I want to know that they're watching you and saying, no, he's doing a good job. He's, he's engaged in doing his job and, and plugging up his zone, his area. Maybe he got a little bit of penetration, but you know, the, the statistics are kind of fleeting right? with getting a tackle or whatever. So I, I care more about grades and run defense than I do pass rush, I think. That's where my head's at right now on this, especially now that we have win rate. Now that I can see you beat the guy in front of you, that's all I care about. It means you're a good football player. Now, yeah, it's only 25% of the time, and the other times you're, you're getting blocked out of existence. You know, you just walk off the field like, I quit, I hate this, He's, this is too hard. But hey, that one in four times, you win, and that makes you great. 
So anyways, I am quite a bit over time. Very excited about all this new stuff. I'll try to bring you some information as I can, especially, and remember, I have these for the draft prospects as well. So drop me some questions if you want to know, you know, zone, whatever. They also have this for wide receivers, although I don't think the, um, let me check if they updated it because yesterday they didn't have the stats and grades correct. No, they still haven't done it. So they, they have it with uh, wide receivers versus man and zone. So you'll be able to find out who's the best against man and who's the best against zone and all that stuff. As of right now, they haven't they have it where it's all the stats and grades are the exact same. So I don't know. They, they need to switch that up. But eventually that's going to be a thing too, right? And so that'll, that'll be awesome context if we have some guys that dominate against man, but they struggle against zone. It'll give us a clearer picture of our wide receiver group. Do they all trend in one direction versus another? Are we going to struggle more against this than that? You know, we beat the Rams pretty handily. Is it maybe because we're pretty good against zone, but struggle a little bit more against man? That'll give us a clearer picture going into these games of everything. So I'm very, very excited. Again, they don't have that information yet, but uh, hopefully they'll get that fixed and we'll be able to have that as a picture as well. So pretty pumped up about it. But you guys have yourselves a fantastic, I think, Wednesday. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.